Welcome to Getting Unschooled. I'm Christopher Lolly. Today, after a very long break, we're getting back on the air with a really lovely interview with the thoughtful Rory Olwyn. Rory and I had a call the exact same week that our schools shut down for the first time due to the pandemic. It's interesting to reflect on what life was like at that time when what it looked like to be teaching was just starting to shift. I use the word thoughtful to describe Rory as this quality is what immediately springs to mind when I think about why I would love to be in one of his classes. It is so easy as educators, especially if we are in an organization as large and imposing as a massive public board, to get caught up in the content we are delivering, making sure we can check all the boxes. Or, even if we shake ourselves free from that paradigm, we can easily get lost in obsessing over the process, our pedagogical stance, or the innovative tools we've learned that we want to enrich our practice with. And I'm not suggesting that these things aren't important. It absolutely matters that our content is thoughtful, inclusive, and meaningful, and that we are fostering skills and understandings that will empower our students. And it is critical that we also employ methodologies that do the same and leverage the amazing research-based insights about learning that are available to us in these times. But if we lose ourselves in the particulars of these details, we risk losing sight of the fact that each day we are essentially molding these human beings in our charge. And at the core of this fact is that I believe the biggest influence we ultimately have on our students is to what extent we are embodying what it means to be a reflective, compassionate human being ourselves. I think this is reflected in the popular adage that people will remember more than anything how we made them feel. For Rory, the self-reflection that seemed most present was, what does it mean to model conscious masculinity? As a male teacher, this really landed for me as it is a topic that I also feel a tremendous responsibility to embody. We all know really well what toxic masculinity looks like, but what does it look like to be a healthy, integrated man that isn't overcompensating by dampening or excising these energies? I was really struck by how attentive Rory is to the emotional life of his students of all genders. Building emotional literacy is such an important part of counterbalancing the typical conditioning of boys and young men, which Rory points out often involves violence. At the end of the interview, Rory also talks about some of his practices to stay healthy and energized. I was really inspired to hear his insights about how investing in his non-teaching self actually amplifies his impact as an educator. Lots more could be said, but let's move on and let Rory's words speak for themselves. All right, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're speaking with Rory. Uh, Rory Olwyn has been teaching English drama and visual arts in high schools in Toronto for seven years. He started in a private school and now teaches in the public system. Side of the classroom, he's also heavily involved in the community, including with Gay-Straight Alliances and the Performing Arts. And I'd love to welcome Rory to this conversation. Thanks, Rory. Thank you so much, Christopher. I'm, I'm really happy to be chatting with you right now. Great. So I was wondering... What was the beginning of your career like in terms of things that energized you and also the things that you found maybe draining or or challenging? What kind of wisdom did you glean from those experiences that have come to inform who you are, either as a person or as a teacher? (laughs) I'm sorry to giggle at your question. It's just, you know, I remember my first year, my first year as a teacher, and I think I'll always have a little bit of a chuckle just because I'm so grateful (laughs) that it's over. (laughs) It was a very, very 
it was it was a roller coaster at the risk of sounding cliche. Uh, and so when you ask me, you know, what energized me or what uh, frustrated me or what drained me, every single hour I remember having very different feelings about my uh, chosen profession. That is in the first uh, year. What energized me was seeing that I could actually do this job. <laughs> uh, what energized me was seeing my students respond positively to, you know, what I was saying, or, you know, I loved when I saw them actually learn something or they could actually do something, or when I saw their writing improved or they answered a question in a way that uh, I really felt like they could under they understood the material and that, that made me feel, hey, look at me go. I, I got out of bed this morning and I did the thing that I was supposed to do. <laughs> but then, you know, 20 minutes later, you know, that same student that gave me the most wonderful response was then met with, I don't know, an internal conflict. You know, they didn't understand the next question or they were bored and I couldn't get them back on track. And then I would feel like I failed as a teacher. So, you know, I guess in short, when I would be in the room and I could see that either I was, you know, connecting with my students, I was, they were responding to me. And when I was in the room and they basically weren't, and I was just, you know, uh, breathing, taking up space. I was just an, ad an adult in the room and I wasn't actually their, their teacher. And yeah, those feelings kind of stayed with me all uh, every day, every hour for the first few years, I think, to be honest with you. Yeah. It seems like the way that they responded to you almost emotionally, had a huge impact on you. Yes, definitely. Now, that could also be because I think my first few years of teaching, I had a very unique experience as a teacher, unlike most teachers, because I think most teachers begin at the public board. Um, and I began teaching in a very, uh, I mean, many teachers begin teaching in a private school, but the private school that I began teaching in was extremely small. So when you ask me, you know, to be very frank with you, when you ask me about my first year teaching, I think about my grade seven class and there were nine students in front of me, which is a tiny group compared to what most teachers experience in their classrooms. I mean, incredibly small. So when you follow up with sounds like you really responded to their emotions or, you know, there's something, um, you know, in your question, there was something about emotions there. You're absolutely right because it was such a um, small and intimate learning environment that I very much did respond to their emotions as well as them being, you know, 12 years old. Yeah. You're almost a primary caregiver as well as a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't think of myself as that, uh, as fulfilling that role when I was in teacher's college and, you know, or, you know, my final years of university undergrad thinking about what I was going to do because I was gearing up to uh, go into high school, grade nine through grade 12, you know, minimum of 25 students in my classroom. So my first job, my first four years of teaching was, I, I could never fathom uh, a learning environment like that. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying around the challenges and I mean, everybody has their own experience. Most of us, it's challenging yeah. in some way or another, but you know, for some people it, it's their colleagues, for some people it's the expectations of the administration or of the system. Right. It sounds like for you, it was very much around relationships with students. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think in some ways I am very fortunate to have that be the root of the majority of my frustrations as a first as, as an early or young teacher that the source of my frustrations were the relationships with my students. I mean, because now as a teacher, I've been teaching for a few more years and I've been teaching in the public board. I could tell you a whole, about a whole slew of different frustrations that I have that when you put it in perspective, I was so lucky to have those types of frustrations. You know, I am so lucky that I had students that were so engaged in what we were doing. If they were upset or they were storming out of the classroom, it's because they couldn't understand the material. It's not because they didn't want to do it, you know, or um, it's not because I had to call home to parents that were apathetic, uh, not absent, didn't really care if their child was skipping class or underperforming, which is quite frankly what I deal with sometimes right now on the public board. Again, when you when you when I step back and I, I think about the source of the frustration, yeah, not not so bad for a teacher, yeah, to deal with. I'm wondering I've had experiences in highly engaged private schools and also in public schools. Well, I've had highly engaged public school parents as well, but right, um, right, but right, definitely right, absolutely it sounds like in that intimate, smaller setting and also especially I mean, people are paying out of their own pocket for the education right. that I'm guessing it might have been hard to maintain boundaries around how much of yourself is expected, you're expected to give. Yeah, definitely. I definitely struggled with what is my job here? What am I what am I expected to do in terms of labor and what part of that label labor will I see in exchange for to be crass money, you know? <laughs> because yeah, often I found myself doing things that, hey, you know, I don't, I don't really know if this is my job right now, or I, I think I'm overstepping my bounds professionally, not in a way that was inappropriate or made anyone uncomfortable, but in a way that set me up in a way that the parental community would expect more from me. I definitely had a very, very hard time, especially as a young teacher, because I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to be accepted. I, I wanted people to think that uh, I was there not just for, you know, summers off, the paycheck, whatever, you know, the stereotypes are that, you know, people think that teachers uh, get involved in teaching for. Uh, so I really wanted to to show how committed I was. And I think that meant unconsciously sacrificing a lot of professional boundaries. Yeah, I think teachers often find themselves in that position because for most of us, we love what we do. And so it becomes much, Absolutely. <laughs> much easier to let those those things slide. Absolutely. And I, and I say that about myself and I say that about countless wonderful, talented colleagues that I have the privilege of working with. Absolutely. I think a lot of us uh, find ourselves doing that as well, for sure. And did these real, this realization around how much of yourself you were offering up, did that affect your move into the different school board or was that something no. different? No. So I was inspired to move to the public board for many reasons. Uh, when I think about all of the extracurricular work that I offered at the private school or that um, I didn't receive the same financial benefits that I do as a public school teacher. Those factors were on the back burner for sure, 
it certainly didn't completely influence my decision simply because right now as a public school teacher, I, I do a lot of extracurriculars. Um, no, the main reason I, I moved to the public board is because the private school that I was working at, it was an all girls, uh, it was an, uh, I shouldn't say an all girls um, school because we've had some students transition, rather it's an all girls learning environment. So when I started working there, we were known to only uh, accept uh, female students. Um, when I was working there for about four or five years, that the policies changed a little bit. We found that some of the students who were there who were assigned female at birth came out as either trans or uh, genderqueer or gender fluid. And so we decided to change our policies. So I just had to correct my language a little bit. Um, but for the majority, our students were young girls. And so when I think about that grade seven class or the plays that we put on or the productions that I was a part of, uh, they were all young women. They were all girls. And after a few years of teaching, I decided uh, and thought to myself, I think that I could, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I think that I could be a decent role model to young boys and young men out there, especially my, my students. And so, and I, and I knew that I wouldn't get the opportunity to really have that type of impact on young men if I stay in that uh, learning environment. So that's really the, the decision. Uh, that's really why I decided to leave and go start teaching in the public board. Awesome. The topic of boys in the system, I mean, boys in our society and the connection or lack of connection with men and yes. male role models is a is yes. a huge, huge topic these days. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, I definitely don't want to be a part of a, a school of thought or a uh, a movement that says, well, one group is suffering, and so let's not care about the other group. That, you know, that that's ridiculous. If we begin to talk about young men uh, or young boys in the school system, and we talk about connections, I certainly want listeners to receive the message that grounding assumption, women and young girls certainly experience a tremendous amount of misogyny, sexism, violence, and uh, are certainly neglected in the school system, and the school system certainly does not set them up to succeed. And I, I just want, you know, before, because I do know, I do think we are going to talk about young boys and men a lot in this discussion, because I know that's a big part of my practice, or at least that's a big, it's a big part of the reason why I decided to bring my practice to the public board, rather. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean to forget about young women as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a false dichotomy to say that. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing. I think a lot of us search for our raison d'etre for being a teacher, some of us longer than others, but it feels like you really kind of landed on, I mean, as much as I'm sure, you know, I know mm -hmm. you're, you're passionate about drama and about humanities and, and so on, but it sounds like you really have a really strong sense of the impact that you want to have on students that you interact with. I think so. I think so. Um, and I know that feeling will evolve. I hope it will evolve um, as I get older. Uh, hopefully I have a very long career ahead of me. But I, I, I certainly think that um, the big reason I do whatever it is that I do is forming connections with my students for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, and I think you're right, any teacher who's a thoughtful, reflective practitioner there they go through many evolutions over the course of their career. I'm wondering, have you found that your own understanding of being a male teacher has evolved over years of teaching? 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know is my very brutally honest answer to that uh, to that question. I guess the reason I the only the only thing I'm confident right now in my, in, in my response to you is that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's because I am always I'm always questioning my own reactions to my students, regardless of their gender. Uh, I'm always, always wondering, was that the right thing to do? Did I, did I respond in the right way? Did I say that thing in the right way? Did I teach that concept in the right way? You know, when you're one person, and I'm sure you can identify with this, when you're one person um, in the front of the classroom and you've got, you know, 30 people in front of you, I'm watching all, all of the faces, all the body language, everything all the time. And sometimes it's, it's very, very difficult for me to say, yeah, definitely. I've got this. No problem. Mic drop. I can go home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rarely, rarely do I, do I have that feeling? God, I wish I had that feeling more often though. I'm sure we all do. (laughs) You know, I think I, I think again, I go back to that response. I don't know because the people that I deal with or that teachers deal with are so, emotional they're so emotional all the time and i catch them at different parts of the day on different days of the week and whenever they come into my classroom they're always bringing in something new depending on that day and depending on the time that i catch them you know i can think of a few weeks ago a few weeks ago which right now in grand perspective of this pandemic seems like forever ago but a few weeks ago there was a fight at my school and a bunch of my male students were involved and they didn't come in to my classroom bruised or bloody thank goodness nothing like that i just remember them coming in very very hyped up really really jacked up on adrenaline and a bunch of them were late because they just came from i think it was the vice principal's office or the principal's office because they were just getting uh, reprimanded for being involved in the fight and i was trying to teach my lesson i can't remember what we were talking about but a bunch of them came in they burst in their emotions were all over the place and of course because you know everyone has their phone in their hand everyone knows that there was a fight some of them saw it i obviously couldn't continue with what i was talking about what i instead had to do was get everyone calm calm the calm the people down who were already in the room listening to me who were engaged in the lesson then calm the people down who were walking into the room that were all hyped up from the fight. And then I had to somehow return to the lesson. Yeah. And that's just, you know, and again, when I think about what a lot of other teachers have to deal with, that was, that's really not a huge deal, but in terms of handling all the emotions in the room and my reaction and my responses, especially to something that, well, when you think about the narrative of a typical young boy or a young man in our part of the world, violence is a part of that narrative, um, unfortunately. And when I think about you know young students, young boys returning from the fight, all I can think about is how can I react or what is my how can my response somehow acknowledge that they're having a really difficult time you know whether uh young boys are involved in the fight or young girls are involved in the fight 
no one wants to be involved in this. You know, let's let's be honest, right? So how do I respond in a way that kind of holds their feelings in a very appropriate way? How do I also respond in a way that shows them, I do not think that you should have gotten involved in that fight. I do not think you should have thrown that punch. I do not think you should have thrown that swear word at that person to aggravate them even further, whatever, whatever it is that they did, yeah. you know? How do I also acknowledge I don't approve of you being in this fight because I don't approve of violence, you know? And then how do I also do all that while behaving in a way that says to them, I really want you to come back tomorrow because it's only Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tuesday. There's yeah. Wednesday, there's Thursday, there's Friday, and then there's the week after that and the week after that. And so how do I do all of these things while still creating a space for you to want to return to tomorrow and the day after that? And so when you ask me your question, you know, how are you doing with all of this? I still don't know. You know, I remember having a great chat with some of those guys. I remember them not getting angrier about the fight during my class. I remember the people around them not, you know, adding negative fodder or gossip to the whole situation. You know, whatever it is that happened, I think um, nothing escalated. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how those guys are doing after they left my room. I don't know what happened on the Internet that night. I don't know what happened to the guys that were involved in the fight. Um, there's so many things that I don't know. Yeah. And at the same time, you're a man standing in front of them modeling how, <laughs> you know, in every moment, I guess, you know, that with unconsciously for them, you're modeling for them a way of being, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe that's the part of the uh, response I left out my own, my own involvement or my own identity in that because I was just, you know, so focused on them, but you're right. I do want to show them as a young guy that there are options, you know, that there are many, many ways of being a man in the world. You can still have all these very, very hard feelings you can still be so angry. And that is, perfectly okay there's many many things to be angry about i am loaded with rage <laughs> but there's just a way to express that anger and there's a way to compete and there's a way to show your aggression and there's a way to flaunt your strength without you know i guess for lack of being uh, for lack of better terms being toxic about it and so in my responses yeah i guess i try to model that as best i can wow you can hear in your voice too like you take this responsibility super seriously in terms of your being a healthy sustainable teacher how's that for you do you have any practices or things that you try to consciously do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself as you try to take care of all these kids yeah i sometimes i forget about leaving my work at home i know the first few years of teaching there was no divide um, i was always thinking about my students and i was always thinking about how I was doing in the classroom. Right now, as I as I get a little bit older, I'm getting better at not talking about my day as much with, say, for example, my partner over dinner. I know a few years ago when I first started teaching, I didn't have a partner, but I would always vent or talk about my day with my friends or my uh, other colleagues. Now I'm noticing, you know, it's a very conscious decision. When I come home, my partner says, 
you know, how's your day? How's your going? How's it going? I, I, I respond. I, I, I answer his questions, but I really try to leave the details out because I know that I could just go down a rabbit hole and I could talk about my day for hours and hours and hours. If something really upsetting happened, and obviously sometimes upsetting things do happen, uh, then I, I will go into details. And I and, and that I do think is a way of taking care of myself. But if I if I don't feel like something is weighing me down, I'm going to leave that weighted backpack at school, so to speak. I really try hard to have hobbies. You know, I know that sounds cliched, but just things that interest me outside of school. I try to see a lot of theater. I, I love exercise. I love, you know, long distance running. My partner and I have two amazing dogs that bring us a lot of joy and a lot of richness. So I just think about, you know, yeah, well, my day was so hard and there are cuts to the province right now. There are strikes. I have students that haven't opened the book. It is November. <laughs> but right now in this moment, I have a wonderful dinner in front of me. I have a, a wonderful home. I'm very blessed. I am good at my job. I am happy I have a job and I, and I kind of just leave it at that. Yeah, that sounds great, which also allows you to be able to go back and do it again the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that's funny. You, when I think about my first few years, I remember I have this memory of me being, being at the kitchen table and it was probably, oh, 12 o'clock. Yeah, 12 o'clock at night. And I was prepping and I was thinking to myself, wow, I have to teach this in about eight, eight and a half hours. How is this going to go? I'm exhausted, you know? And then I think to myself right now, I stop working no matter what at six o'clock. Um, now that I'm lucky, I have my lessons prepared. I know what I'm doing because I've been teaching for years now, but I don't allow myself to work past a certain hour. If the lesson is there, the lesson is there. And um, I think it's much better that I go in with a clear head, that I am passionate about my job, that my students can see that I have energy and that I want to be there much it's that that is far more valuable than me memorizing the final monologue to act four scene two and whatever shakespearean play i have to teach the next day well said well said yeah <laughs> sorry to all the other english english teachers out there <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully they feel the same way i think they i think they might yeah I mean, the kids are there and the impact you have, the impact you have on the students is going to be determined by what you give them of yourself, right? Yeah. And so if you're prioritizing having something there to give, that's going to have much, much more impact on them than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the most, if I could think about what I'm most grateful for, I know that's not a question you're posing right now, but if I could think about what I'm most grateful for, that is time. It's so nice to be an experienced teacher because with time you grow confidence. And when you have confidence as a teacher, you can say to yourself what you just said just, just now. And that is, it's way more important that the students see that you're there, you care, and it's how you deliver the, the material and the content versus what you know. Because right now, I think any experienced teacher would agree with me when I say it's really okay to be a teacher and not know everything. Yeah. It, it's actually important to demonstrate that you don't know everything. And so 
gone are the days, you know, staying up till 12, one o'clock, learning something that I do not know <laughs> and sacrificing sleep for that, you know? Oh, good for you. That's, that's awesome. It's inspirational. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, hopefully people in their first and second years of teaching are listening right now and are, are like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> something to look forward to. Absolutely. So as we wrap up our time today, I wanted to ask you one more thing, which is about looking forward. It's clear you are a, a very reflective and um, passionate, engaged teacher. And I'm wondering if you have a sense of what you think your next growth edge is around either maintaining that or deepening that or, or opening up a new front in terms of making yourself healthier and, and happier? <laughs> That's such a great question. First of all, thank you for that lovely compliment. I really appreciate that. You know, I think about my drama teacher that I had when I was in high school, uh, Sean Stone, uh, and I know he's still teaching and I hope he will listen to this one of these days. He is and was an amazing teacher, an amazing man, and just such an inspiration to me. What was so amazing to me about him was I just felt like he could do anything and he knew everything. And I know that's incredibly ironic, but I say that just after I'm say, I say, you know, it's okay to not know everything <laughs> when, when now thinking about my mentor. No, I just, you know, when we would chat after, so he ran drama club and he put on all the plays. And as a student, I was very involved in the drama community. I was quite, quite the drama nerd. I, we would chat and he would chat with all of us. And he was always taking uh, a course. He was always getting, you know, certified in lighting design or fight choreography. He would tell us, him and his wife would, you know, take a cooking course. After the summer was over, we'd all meet up again in September. We would all say, you know, what was everyone up to this summer? And he said, oh, I traveled all around Europe. And uh, I saw him a few years ago at a play. And he told me that him and his wife, you know, went all over the, all over the world traveling. Like he, you, you hear these stories about teachers who, all they do is teach. And I think that that was sort of me my first few years. And rightly so. I think all young teachers need to sort of learn those lessons. And a few years of this is your entire life, I get that, especially if you want to buckle down, you want to commit, and you want to make this a part of a lifelong career for yourself. But he was the type of teacher to have a rich life outside of the classroom, as well as be somebody who would stay there with us until 7, 7.30, building the sets and getting the costumes ready and painting the, the, the backdrops and whatnot. But then he would chat about his weekend and he did all these fun, cool, interesting things. And he was always just improving himself and learning. And I think what made his lessons and my time with him so special and interesting and rich was because he was so special and interesting and rich in his private life. And I think students really respond to teachers who bring with them a love of life and a wealth of knowledge or a wealth of life experience. And I, I really just hope that I, when I have been teaching for 20, 25 years, I just really hope that I could bring that sense of that joie de vivre or that worldly knowledge to my classroom. Because I know that yeah, sure, students will be impressed with my knowledge of, you know, Shakespeare's early life and whatnot. But I think they really do 
become way more engaged with someone who spent their time camping somewhere over the summer or went backpacking across somewhere or whatever it is. But I, I think students really respond to real life people and not just somebody with, you know, three or four degrees, uh, degrees attached to their name. Yeah, not just being a lifelong teacher, but being a lifelong learner too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for carving out time to talk with me today. Well, in this wild, wild, in these wild times, all I have is time. (laughs) But uh, thank you very much, Christopher. I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate you uh, getting in contact with me and making this time for me as well. Well, thank you. Take care. Good luck out there. Take good care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Rory's journey and that it raises some areas of reflection or engagement for you. A big thank you to Rory for sharing his time, energy, and passion with us. If you found this episode to be meaningful or impactful for you, then you can support it by spreading the word through social media, emails, in your staff room. Tell people to check it out. You can also subscribe and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts to help more people find it. You can also support this project on Patreon at patreon.com unschooled. Becoming a micro patron will help us expand our capacities to tell more of these stories. If you know an educator whose story should be out there, get in touch. Our mandate is to reflect diverse voices of teachers and their journeys of discovering and manifesting their unique impact. Email us at podcast at staffroomwellness.com. And on that note, after struggling to get back on my feet after long COVID and reestablish a level of sustainable energy for my daily life as a teacher, finding the resources to do right by this podcast was just a bridge too far for the past year. So getting to a place where I can enthusiastically reconnect with this project is a big personal milestone in my journey to find a new normal that continues to feed what I feel called to bring to the world. I'm really excited to see what this next chapter brings by way of the stories we get to highlight. Getting Unschooled's associate producer is Alexandra Tavler. Our wonderful theme music is by Gabriel Fortuna. I look forward to connecting with you next episode when I speak with Jill Lefkowitz, a recently retired primary school teacher and former literacy coach on the lessons of a rich and varied career and how being a parent of a child with special needs influenced her as an educator. 